Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. I have Dave Gemmel back on today's episode. If you didn't listen to last week's, go back a week, listen to that first, and then join us here. Before we get to the continuation of that interview, Thank you so much to those of you who have rated the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your other podcasting apps. Here's a five-star rating we recently received. Shiro Encouragement. This is a wonderful source for women to gain courage and understanding in the cycle of chaos. For those of you who are victims of emotional abuse and psychological abuse and sexual coercion, our daily support group is the most affordable and yet the most accessible support group available anywhere. It's online. There are multiple sessions a day in every single time zone, and we get it. We get it immediately. You don't have to explain anything. We can actually help you and help you get to safety rather than you trying to justify your feelings or you trying to explain to somebody what's happening and they're not getting it. So to see our session schedule, go to btr.org. We'd love to see you in a session today. For those of you who are experiencing some type of criminal behavior in your home, physical abuse, perhaps physical intimidation, or you know of your husband's child pornography use or other crimes, we recommend setting an individual appointment with Coach Renee for that. Crime is not necessarily something that we process in Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group, which is specifically for the emotional and psychological abuse and the sexual coercion. But we do know that physical assault and other crime don't happen in a vacuum. No woman who experiences crime has just experienced that without emotional and psychological abuse. If it gets to the crime level, victims have also experienced psychological and emotional abuse as it usually escalates or it's usually all happening at the same time. So to process those crimes in order to get help from your local authorities, please set an individual session with Coach Renee. I read Dave's bio last week, so make sure you go back if you didn't hear that. His church is sponsoring End It Now, which is a summit on abuse. It's free to register You can register at enditnownorthamerica.org. So we wanted to make sure that everyone is aware of that. That takes place on November 11th. So register for that free summit today. In this next part of our interview, I was talking to Dave about specific issues related to listeners of this podcast. So women who are victims of emotional and psychological abuse, a lot of times their husbands are in positions in their church mostly volunteer positions usually, sometimes other positions. And I tell him about the situation of many of the women in our community. So you'll hear me talking a lot about the experience of Shiro's who are trying to get to peace in this scenario. And I think you'll really enjoy his perspective. I have encountered so many victims who go to their clergy for spiritual counsel, which ends up being kind of like therapy, like well, you need to listen to him more. And so you would say to the clergy, well, don't provide therapeutic counsel. And they would say, well, I'm not. I'm providing spiritual counsel. What would the difference be? Yeah, that's a good question. And spiritual counseling, I don't think that's appropriate. I think it's much better in a class or a small group to develop those spiritual skills and insights. As far as one-on-one counseling, I think that's out of the question, whether it's spiritual or otherwise, that needs to be left in the hands of the professionals. One thing that I suggest is if you're going into clergy to report your husband's abuse, his porn use, his sexual coercion, 
any type of abuse, emotional or psychological abuse, always take another woman with you who understands abuse. From our experience, you are at the greatest risk of him giving you bad advice or saying things like, well, just have more sex with him or how many times do you have sex? We get the craziest things that clergy has said to victims of abuse. Are you making dinner? Are you praying? Stuff like that. The chances of things like that happening are greatly reduced when there is another woman who understands abuse in the room with you. That's a great suggestion. And that leads me to tip number two. Don't meet with a pastor by yourself. Huh. We're on the same page. Yay. <laughs> we are. We are. This is not rocket science here. This is just a simple practical device that comes out of years and years of bad practice. So we need to turn it around and have a good practice. So here's some suggestions. Don't meet with the pastor by yourself. If you do, find places to meet people where you can be observed by others. All right. So I don't know if the pastor has an office. If so, the office door should be open. There should be someone within eyesight of the office. I would suggest if there's not an office, meet at a public place, coffee shop, ice cream shop, if we're in Salt Lake City, ice cream shop. <laughs> Most of all, choose a place where you feel safe. And if you want to bring a friend with you, that will really increase the, uh, the safety awareness. Let's talk about that for a minute. So many women are going to their clergy to talk about their own sins, right? To be absolved of their own sins or to get spiritual counsel. And so they're embarrassed. So they don't want anyone else to know. What would you tell women in this scenario who are ashamed of perhaps some of their own behavior? They want to repent. They want spiritual guidance. And they're thinking, I don't want to tell my mom so my mom can come in with me to speak to my bishop or my pastor or perhaps some scenario like that. What advice would you give for women in that situation? Yeah, well, we'll get into a theological discussion right now because I'm not into that at all. As a pastor, I don't want to hear the sins of folks in the congregation. I think that's between them and the Lord. If they want to have a group of people that can hold them accountable, I suggest a small group is a great place to do it. Like a 12-step group, perhaps? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As a spiritual leader, I don't want to be looking out at my congregation and, and see all the sinners in the congregation and know specifically what their sins are. I mean, that's just crazy. I want to see them as sons and daughters of God. That's very interesting. So that would be a theological difference, obviously, between yours and my faith, because in my faith, you're expected to confess serious sins. And that's a part of the repentance process. You also would get that in like the Catholic faith, for example, right? Confession. And there's several other faiths who believe in that spiritual practice of confession. So for you, you would recommend like a 12-step group that's particular to your specific problem. Absolutely. Or a small group within the congregation. If there's a spiritual small group that, you know, pursues mission and spiritual growth in that group, that would be a little more appropriate. Again, this is theological. I don't believe as a, as a member of the clergy that I have any absolving power over sin. That's something that is between God and the person. So that's not a power that I believe I've been bequeathed with, but yeah, we can get into a theological uh, discussion. Yeah, I'm really grateful for your insight. So thank you for sharing that. If you have anything else you want to add, I'm happy to hear it about that. So that's really interesting. I've actually never considered that that's not clergy's role before until right this very second talking to you. Yeah, 
Well, we can have a Bible study sometime and take a look at it. That would be fun. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. You're opening my mind. Thank you. So what steps can clergy members take to prevent placing themselves in compromising situations? We just talked about it. One of them is your belief that you're, you're not there to listen to their sins. Is there anything else that you would share? Yeah, a couple other things. And you alluded to a nice relationship that you had with your bishop early on, and that is keep messaging professional. So whatever the messaging is, whether it's a phone call, whether it's a text, whether it's an email, look at that text, that messaging, make sure that it is professional, that it doesn't, well, you use the word creepy. (laughs) And that is that there's nothing in there that says that this relationship is or could be something more than what it is already, a professional relationship. And if it goes beyond that, the bell should be going off and say, hey, there's a problem here. So here's some things to do to prevent that from happening. If that begins to happen, if it's email, reply back and CC some people and so that they can see what's going on. If it's text messaging, increase it to a group message with some trusted people. Phone calls, make sure you have someone in the room with you when you're having that phone call. Put it on speakerphone if you have to. So all of these things will provide safety barriers from someone on the other end who may be, and you don't know for sure, may be a sexual predator. That is really good counsel. Thank you. So can we circle back around to the thing that is most common, I would say, for women who listen to this particular podcast, and that is clergy misconduct, as you defined it at the beginning when we talked about clergy not giving women the right advice or telling them to do things that are actually harmful. We hear so many experiences from women in our community who are from a variety of different faiths. So this podcast, it's interfaith. And we're talking women from the Catholic Church, you know, women who are Baptists, women who are Jewish, who have these interactions with clergy that are really traumatizing when they go in to talk about their husband's abuse. Responses like, you need to have more sex, you need to be a biblical woman and submit, et cetera, et cetera. So specifically for our listeners, What would you say to them in this scenario where they're not experiencing clergy sexual misconduct, meaning there's no sexual relationship going on, but they're not holding their abusive husband accountable for his abuse and not helping her get to safety? I'm going to give just a really easy answer. Don't go to your pastor for marital counseling. Honestly, I mean, I have my doctorate and I do not consider I have enough education to do marriage counseling, do family counseling. I've had two courses in it, maybe three courses. And if I begin to start practicing that, I am practicing outside of my knowledge base and I am bound to be giving some stupid advice. So I'd rather not do that. And for your listeners, I would rather that they don't get stupid advice either. If they're going to someone who knows less than they do, I mean, what's the point? That's a waste of time. Go to someone that actually has competency in that area. Similarly, my advice to our listeners is don't go to a marriage and family therapist because they are bound by their licensing to see it as an equal problem. Like you've got your side of the problem and you've got your side of the problem. And how can we make you both better with an abuse situation? 
You really need a therapist who genuinely understands emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion because there's a serious power problem there. And it's not just a communication issue where, you know, you're going to go and just improve your communication and things are going to get better, too. So women also report going to family or marriage counseling and having it go off the rails as well and not keep them safe. So this isn't just a clergy issue. This is a serious societal issue about mis information and people not understanding emotional and psychological abuse and how to spot it and how to help victims get to safety. And I think that's where references come in handy too. And I would advise clergy, bishops, those that are in a position of spiritual power, work with groups such as yours that really have good skills in this area and have a list of, of people that they can turn to that really do have expertise. That's what I recommend to clergy. We have a course in our denomination where pastors are trained to find out who the experts are in the area and to keep that file handy so that when someone comes in for a need, they can refer knowing that that person is very likely to be helpful to their parishioner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic. So that's what we specialize in, emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion, especially when it's difficult for people to see it. When we educate women about it, they're like, oh, now this is very clear. And now what do I do? Even victims themselves, when they're not educated about it, it's very difficult for them to even understand what's going on. And so (laughs) to expect other people that aren't you, that aren't experiencing to know is also very difficult. It's hard for everyone. Let me just address, there may be someone listening right now that has experienced clergy sexual misconduct. And that number is not small. Referring to that previous study, let me just pull the numbers up on that. I believe over 3% of women in any congregation have experienced clergy sexual misconduct. So it's not a small group of people. And I'm imagining that if maybe one of your listeners right now has experienced it and they've listened to it and they say, yeah, yeah, that's me. What do I do about it? Just give a couple ideas on that, if maybe there's someone that has experienced it right now. I'm sure that there has. In fact, (laughs) not only that, but I'm sure that there are many listeners whose husbands are pastors or whose husbands are clergy, who they know that their husband has had sexual misconduct with one of the congregation members. So this is the wife of the pastor who is aware of her husband's sexual misconduct. So I would say it's more likely that that would be who is listening in this scenario. However, I'm sure there's also women who have experienced the sexual misconduct themselves. So yes. Yeah. Well, let me talk to that first class and that second. I'm scratching my head on that one. That's a tough one. But if you're listening right now and you have experienced clergy sexual misconduct, I think the first thing you need to know, it's not your fault. You are a victim. You're a victim of clergy sexual misconduct. So don't feel guilty about it. Don't flagellate yourself. It's a sexual predator's fault, not yours. And so don't beat yourself up onto it. I think if it's something that's happened recently, And if you're ready and you're strong enough, you have support, speak up. First of all, report it to law enforcement. If there's been a rape, report it. I know that's a difficult thing to go through, but do. Do report it because we want to, as much as possible, to get the sexual predators off the streets. But having said that, 
Here's how the law in many states looks at it. If it is between two adults, whether it's a clergy and a member, and they are adults, the law may look at, at it as consensual. And so it's a he said, she said type of situation. Get your evidence, but do report it. Even if it doesn't result in a conviction, you've done your job on it. And if it's a case of a sexual predator, sometimes it takes several times for this to happen before a conviction can take place. I know it's frustrating because the odds of getting conviction are probably pretty long. But if you're strong enough, I do encourage you to report to the law. All right. And then I think also speak up to the supervisor of your pastor or your bishop, whatever that team is that oversees. They need to hear about it. And why? To prevent others from being victimized. If you've been hurt, chances are that if it is not interrupted, you're not the only one that's going to be hurt. Sexual predators hurt dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of people. And if you can put a stop to it or slow it down, you will prevent others from being hurt in the future. And then finally, and we've talked about this early, seek healing. Seek healing from the crime that's been committed against you and the hurt that's been caused. Find people that can help you find that healing and walk through that healing with you on that healing journey. Professional counselors, I'm a big fan of, coaches sometimes, but find that healing because it's not easy if you've been violated. Mm -hmm. And what would you say to the many, many wives of clergy who know about their husband's sexual misconduct and who have not been removed from their positions? In fact, I mean, we have over 60,000 women in our community, and we're hearing stories of this frequently, where their husband uses pornography, for example, or he's had an affair, not necessarily with a member of the congregation, but with somebody, and he has shown to not have sexual integrity or have integrity at all because he's also lied about it and hidden his behavior. What would you say to wives in that scenario? And that is a difficult one, too. There's so many things at stake. But if the evidence is clear and you're willing to take the risk, take that evidence to the person that's overseeing your husband and so that they can make clear that uh, that this is inappropriate relationship and that person should not be holding that office. Yeah, we've had lots of women who have done that and then they've just been dismissed. So that's the thing that's really difficult for women is they sometimes try and try and then it just gets exhausting. But I want listeners in that scenario to know that I believe, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, Dave, but maybe you do too, that God loves you and he wants you to be safe and he does want his congregation members to be safe and to be under the direction of someone who is righteous, right? Someone who obeys the commandments, not someone who is perfect, but take a break and then keep trying. Like, please don't give up because it's really important to report these things. And it is risk. It is at risk. If you live with an abusive husband and that immediately will increase the abuse and make the relationship worse in a, in a downward cycle. And so short term, things can get worse before they get better. But, you know, I believe that uh, shining a light brings healing. And 
Sin grows in darkness, but it won't grow in light. And shining a light on darkness brings out the truth and brings out cleansing. So it's tough. Got to have a support team with you too. Just to do it all on your own and you're being gaslighted just makes it more and more difficult. So you, you need to have that strength of a community behind you because every step you take, it gets ratcheted up on the other side. So you have to be strong. And to be strong, you've got to have people behind you. You've got to have a small group of people that can listen to you, believe you, support you, and encourage you. Absolutely. Dave, you have an awesome event coming up very soon called End It Now. Absolutely. This is an annual event now that we've had for many years, and we bring the best experts in the field from all over the country and usually bring them to a physical location. But right now, as we're recording this, we're still in the midst of COVID, so we're going to be doing it virtually this year. And the good news about that is it's free. It's called End It Now Virtual Summit on Abuse, and it will be held in English on November 13 and in Spanish on November 14. So it's open for everybody, some of the keynote presenters. Mary DeMuth, the author of We Too, How the Church Can Respond Redemptively to Sexual Abuse Crisis. Additional topics are going to be thought leaders, including protecting children and youth, Digging out of the pit of spiritual abuse, a topic presented at a previous summit, and they want to hear it again and again and again. Timing couldn't be better because we're living in perfect storm with COVID-19, and we believe that abuse is escalating in this time where there's not as much accountability. So we need this more than ever. End it now, NorthAmerica.org. End it now, NorthAmerica.org, all one word. And again, it's November 13 for English and it's free. Just fill out that form and they'll give you the link on how you can participate. That is awesome. Thank you so much for letting our listeners know about that. Again, that is enditnownorthamerica.org. So go to their website today. If this podcast is helpful to you, please support it. Go to btr.org, scroll to the bottom and click on support the podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.